This is our number two of the John and Leah Show. This is the program where each and every Sunday we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week. We do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. We also sometimes talk about the events of our bizarre lives. We usually save that for hour number three. In this hour number two, we're going to start off talking about the fact that this week was the 14th anniversary of 9-11. And, of course, at that time when this all occurred some 14 years ago, uh, as you well know, Leah, we as a nation pretended, and I suspected at the time we were pretending, pretended that we would never forget, right? That's right. We would never, ever, ever forget. And right. as a matter of fact, uh, in order to make sure that this was the case, when you and I used to do our evening talk show on KFI in Los Angeles mm-hmm. for about uh, three or four years, I would end each and every program with a uh, countdown of the number of days since it has been since uh, 9-11, although I usually got it wrong. Um, but it was close. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, I, usually, I was usually off by one or two, I, but, but no one ever caught me on it. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would also play uh, this clip. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Yeah, and we did all three of those things. Of course we did. And we've done it from uh, quite a long time ago. And the proof is now overwhelming. Um, You know, it it was debatable for a while, but now it's overwhelming. And this week, I think, uh, you know, there was both anecdotal as well as as, uh, more scientific uh, real evidence of that reality. Uh, One of which got a lot of attention was a series of interviews done at George Mason University, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., you know, all the good schools in Washington have George in it. I went to Georgetown. There's George Washington. Then there's George Mason. It's, by the way, it's in that order as far as, you know, how good the school is. Georgetown, George Washington, then George Mason. Um, although George Mason has gone down significantly, in my view, based upon the clip that we're about to play you, uh, which got quite a bit of play, especially well, only. I shouldn't say especially. Only in conservative circles because somehow this is a partisan issue. Now, how this is a partisan issue, I have no idea. But but somebody simply went to George Mason University, not a not a high school, not a grade school, a university, major university, and asked people what caused 9-11. And uh, here were the responses. Why did they attack us on 9-11? Uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm not 100% sure. Probably Bush did something bad. I'm not quite sure, to be honest. They were mad at us for something. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I have no idea why that day in particular, actually. I err towards our uh, interventionist, interventionist foreign policy. Uh, just to destroy like the economy and stuff like that. Um, either it was an issue over money or oil. He put us into war over there over money and gas, and it just didn't turn out right. I hear a lot about it being religious, but I think that that's covered up covering up economics. They weren't happy with us, I mean with the U.S. being in their area. Oh, it was because the U.S. was in their area. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you think we should teach more about 9-11 in the classroom? Absolutely. I believe so. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's our youth, folks. Now, obviously, anybody could find, um, you know. Idiots! Imbeciles! 
anywhere and interview them, you know, sporadically and, and edit together to make it look worse than it was. I have no indication that that's what happened with this particular effort. Uh, but the reality is, I think that your own experience will tell you that our nation's youth especially. By the way, our, our adults are no, not much better off, but the, the youth weren't even alive. You know, people have to remember that freshmen in college now have no real memory of 9-11 at all. And but it's not like we don't market every single year. Could yeah. someone have told them what it's about? Well, you know, it's, that's interesting because my wife is a, a public school teacher. Uh, she Until this year, she's been teaching sixth grade. And she religiously every year would give a quiz on 9-11 to her sixth graders. And each and every year, as we got further and further away, we could see that their knowledge got worse and worse and worse. Um, and this year, she's teaching uh, higher grades, seventh and eighth grades, and these seventh and eighth graders had no, they, they were enthralled. They were enthralled. They wanted to hear the story as if she was talking about something that happened in 1812. Unreal. I, I mean, they had no clue. They were fascinated, but they had no clue at all. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Number one, is, of course, the, the big picture reason that our academic institutions and our media has no interest in educating people about the real causes of 9-11. You and I know very well, especially me, know very well firsthand how this manifested itself because there was a movie called The Path to 9-11 that aired for the first and only time on ABC, two-part miniseries, on the fifth anniversary of 9-11. That was the greatest movie ever made about 9-11. It was. Except it criticized Bill Clinton. It criticized Oops. George Bush. Right, right. It criticized George Bush, but also criticized Bill Clinton, which Oops. is not allowed. And so ABC edited it and then censored it. It was supposed to air continually on anniversaries after that. It's never aired again. It wasn't even allowed on DVD or on demand. It's never been seen again. I made a movie about this censorship called Blocking the Path to 9-11, uh, which you can check out. For, it's, it's free online, but the website is blockingthepath.com. It's a hell of a movie. It's an amazing story of how the news media completely blew it on behalf of the Clintons in order to protect their political hides on this. And everything the movie said has been vindicated a thousand times over since, exactly. since it's happened in every possible way. So our, our nation's youth doesn't know crap. My three-year-old daughter, literally knows more about 9-11 than most grade schoolers or even high schoolers. And all she knows is planes being flown by bad guys, went into buildings, brought them down, and the reason they did it is because they didn't like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that pretty much sums it up. Right. Well, no, we, we simplified it for her, and she yeah. knows she's a big fan of Jesus. You know, Jesus is one of her three gods, Disney, Santa, and Jesus. So, you know, she can relate so the, G the Jesus thing hooked her. Oh, really? The bad guys didn't like Jesus, so they flew, flew planes into our buildings. And, I, you know, I've got the billboard for my movie in my office. So she's always been wondering about the, these, the, the Twin Towers. And so she keeps saying, what happened here, Daddy? What happened? So she literally, know, my three-year-old daughter, knows more than most of these, you know. Idiots! <laughs> All right. Now. It, it, and this is a huge problem because it's going to happen again in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, all right, when we come back, uh, we don't usually do guests, but we're going to do a guest 
on this show who went into the military because of 9-11 and now is part of a really great effort to try to help members of the military deal with post-traumatic stress disorder. So stay tuned to the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We don't usually do guests on this program, uh, but we're honored to be joined in this segment by Chris Wilson. He's a retired Marine officer. He's now the director of strategic growth for the Headstrong Project. Their website is www.getheadstrong.org. And it is an organization to help members of our military with post-traumatic stress disorder. And since this is uh, this week is the anniversary of 9-11. I wanted to have him on to talk about uh, his experience with 9-11 in the military and this organization. Chris, welcome to the John and Leah Show. Hey, thank you very much. So, Chris, uh, on 9-11, you were a senior in high school in New Jersey, right? Yeah, that is correct. I went to uh, Ramsey High School, a small town in North Jersey. We, we, we really seem to have a very bad phone connection for some reason. Is, is, are, you, are you getting some feedback on your end, Chris? Yeah, I actually am. All right, why don't we do this? Why don't we – all right, let's try, so, so let's try this again. So you're a senior in high school, and 9-11 happens, and how did it impact your life? So, yeah, that was the first time that my generation had seen any type of, of war up front. So um, those towers were a line of sight from my high school, and um, it, was, it was really – um, impacted my senior because it was it was almost as if my generation's war to fight. And so, what ended up happening in your life? Did what that was the catalyst for you joining the Marines? Correct. That was yes. Yeah. So um, I went through college um, from 2002 to 06, and um, through that time, the Iraq War had had broken out. And um, you know, just every time going to class to Rutgers, it was kind of just in the back of my head. This is something that I needed to join, and then. Upon graduation, um, I went to officer candidate school in the Marine Corps. And then you ended up doing uh, two, two tours of duty in Afghanistan. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, so I did a uh, tour to Afghanistan in 2009 and 2011, once as a platoon commander and once as an executive officer, and uh, was given a ton amount of responsibility uh, at, a, at a young age of about 25, 26 years old. But as I uh, transitioned out of the uh, Marine Corps, I noticed um, some different symptoms of post-traumatic stress uh, starting uh, to enter my life. And what, and what were those? I mean, did you realize what it was when it was first happening? Give us a sense of what was occurring there. Yeah, so it was actually uh, pretty odd. I got out in uh, 2012, February 2012, and exactly two years to the date, February 2014, uh, my wife and I started noticing um, strange things of myself waking up in the middle of the night, massive headaches. Uh, trouble swallowing, choking sensations, and uh, yeah, and just uh, anxiety attacks as well. And really unsure what they were what they were all about until I was able to get connected with the Headstrong Project. And wow. so, so tell us about the Headstrong Project and what they were able to do for you. So what they were able to do for me was correctly diagnose what exactly was going on with me. So our medical director, Dr. Ann Beter, um, I came in for an appointment. She did a full diagnosis of me and, and made sure that I understood that post-traumatic stress is what I had, but also that with the correct treatment was 100% curable. 
And this wasn't just an annoyance. I mean, you actually had thoughts of suicide, correct? Um, it actually had not gotten to the point of, of, of myself for that, but I had friends that had committed suicide. So I knew that I did not want to get to that point so that if I caught it early enough, I just my wife and I just looked at each other and said, okay, this is something that is not right in our lives, and uh, let's get it fixed early. So uh, with Dr. Veter and her staff, I was able to start therapy um, once a week for about six or seven months. And after uh, about six or seven months of therapy, those four distinct symptoms that I mentioned before were completely gone. And I was completely uh, in awe of what the Headstrong Project had done for me. How prevalent do you think this is among people who have served, especially in most recent uh, wars in Afghanistan and Iraq? How how common is this? Yeah, so uh, the statistics are that um, probably around 25% of people that serve in a, in a combat zone will come back with some forms of post-traumatic stress. They could be some of the symptoms that I talked about, um, or they could be some other ones as well. But the number is about 25% right now. Oh, but Chris, you said it took about two years for the symptoms to show up. Is that what you said? Yeah, so uh, what Dr. Beter explained to me and, and her staff was that uh, sometimes people like myself, you're on an adrenaline high. Um, so I was on my adrenaline high for about two years. And it took me that long to uh, come down off of that high from being in combat and being uh, very vigilant of my surroundings. And all of a sudden, two-year mark, um, and she said it's actually quite common that you see um, in people that serve in combat zones that these symptoms start to appear. So, Chris, we're speaking with Chris Wilson, retired Marine officer, director of strategic growth at the Headstrong Project. The website is www.getheadstrong.org. You guys have just opened up, um, I guess we call it a chapter or whatever you call it, in San Diego. We're, we're heard in San Diego. Uh, tell us uh, how people can actually help help the, with this project and, and help members of the military dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, yeah, so as you said, uh, we have opened up a division where we have clinical practices now uh, in the San Diego uh, County and also uh, Riverside counties. And uh, the two ways that really you can help out is uh, spreading our name in, in all types of all types of ways so that veterans know the services that are out there because it's a completely 100% cost-free, bureaucracy-free, and stigma-free practice that we run, and also uh, through donations. So we are able to provide cost-free care through uh, donations through various individuals, corporations, and so forth. And how will you, you know, for instance, if someone in the San Diego Riverside area goes to to Headstrong? What will happen for them? What will, what will, how will that be helpful to them? So what's going to be great about our program is that it's 100% confidential. So um, a lot of people are fearful of, of, of bigger government organizations that um, your, your medical profile is an open book. Well, we're 100% confidential and that the, the diagnosis is, uh, is going to be correct through us. Well, Chris, we really appreciate your time. We appreciate your service to our country, and we wish you the best of luck, especially with the, with the new uh, chapters in Riverside and, and San Diego counties. Once again, the website is www.getheadstrong, that's getheadstrong.org, getheadstrong.org. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. And I, your service. Thank yeah. you. All right, when we come back on the John and Leah Show, more news of the week on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show, where we're always holding out for a hero. My name is John Ziegler. She's Leah Brandon. She's broadcasting from Alabama, where, especially this time of year, people care about college football, Jesus, and their guns. I'm broadcasting from north of Los Angeles, where people barely even care about themselves. Uh, now, in keeping with the uh, theme of the hour, which is the forgetting of the lessons of 9-11 and trying to help our military deal with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, in, the, in the wake of their service to our country. By the way, once again, that uh, website, if you want to help, is www.getheadstrong. That's getheadstrong.org, O-R-G, getheadstrong.org. Uh, in keeping with that theme, there's a lot of chaos going on throughout the world. Our, our news media wouldn't want you to believe that, uh, but we've got a refugee crisis in, in Europe. We've got this Iran deal that is about to, to happen, despite the fact that we've got alleged majorities in the Republican House and Senate. It doesn't mm-hmm. even look like we're going to force Barack Obama into a veto. And we've also got uh, ISIS which is really causing this refugee crisis to begin with, uh, with all sorts of uh, intel problems there. So I asked Leah, could you encapsulate all this (laughs) chaos for us in one report and try to keep it under five or six minutes? Uh, So, Leah, are you going to be able to do that for us? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Here we go. So let's start with the Iran nuclear deal, which uh, passed through the Senate on the 14th anniversary of 9-11. Now, before it did, Senator Ted Cruz on that day listed a slew of ways that Senator Mitch McConnell could have procedurally delayed the vote. McConnell did not use any of those tools, and then he said this. Uh, Senate Democrats have used a procedural device to prevent the president from getting a motion of uh, disapproval which he would veto but he is going to win the short-term battle Uh, but we've won the argument with the american people this is going to be a defining issue in the 2016 election Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell. I've dealt, I've, I've dealt with him when I was in Louisville at WHAS. I, I think he's a jackass. Uh, he is all about politics. He sees everything. That's right. He sees everything through a political prism. He has. He's good at it. Let make no mistake. He's good at the politics. But I think this is a hill you you would want to die on. Uh, figur- exactly. Figur- figuratively. This uh, is not raising the gas tax. Right. Okay, he has no idea how important this is. There, but, there was no government shutdown being threatened, you know, right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get. I, right. I hear you. But now, all of a sudden, it does appear that uh, they're going to hold another vote next week. But he needs two Democrats to vote with the GOP. So no amount of saying the issue is over makes it over. And House Speaker John Boehner. Our fight to stop this bad deal, frankly, is just beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, also, just yesterday, it was reported that suddenly Iran has found a huge supply of (laughs) uranium that they had no idea existed. Really? And there it is. Oh, yeah, they found it yesterday. As a matter of fact, it's so large that they may not have to import the raw materials from any other countries. Wow, that's just an amazing coincidence, isn't it? It it really is. I'm sure it's a complete coincidence. Okay, so here is what else is going on. The so-called refugee crisis is continuing. Now, according to the U.N. Refugee Agency, 72% of these refugees are men. President Obama has already agreed 
to open our country to somewhere between 10,000 and 70,000 of these refugees. Most of them are coming from Syria, but not all of them are fleeing war. Many of them are just fleeing poverty. Germany's Angela Merkel put out a call to go there, and they're now being overrun. As a matter of fact, this morning, Germany put up temporary borders trying to force other countries to take them because they're saturated. Finally. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. So finally, this uh, is a story that is a, a, a little scary when you look at what's going on with the refugees. The Daily Beast, in an exclusive piece this week, Um, refers to 50 intelligence agents. They are coming forward. They're basically blowing the whistle to say that all of their intelligence that they have been giving on ISIS to our administration has been changed at the top level into happy talk. They claim that there's a cancer at the senior level of Central Command, and it may go as high as the White House, that their information is changed to make it appear our war with ISIS is going well, and if anyone complains about the changes, they either have to change their report or they're forced to retire. The inspector general at the Pentagon has opened an investigation. So let me be clear. Yeah, um, the, the reality is that, unfortunately, none of that is shocking. It should be shocking, uh, but, it, but it's not. And, of course, you know, the news media has been all over this, um, which is always the case, you know, when it comes to anything that would be negative towards Barack Obama. Now, there's a lot, you, you gave us a lot of information there, Leah, Correct. and thank you. Uh, there's a couple things that I, I'm a little shocked by, um, and unfortunately, the, the ISIS intelligence is not one of them, even though it's outrageous. <laughs> I, I'm most shocked by Germany's reaction here. Yeah. Uh, this makes no sense to me. At all. At, at all. I mean, now, obviously, with the last name Ziegler, uh, you know, it's a German name. I was born in Heidelberg, although it was because my father was in the U- U.S. military at the time, so I was born on the military base there uh, in Heidelberg. But, you know, I have at least some affinity for the for the German nation, the German people. You know, my, I have a long string of half my family is from Germany. And one of the things, you know, obviously this gets into a controversial realm because it got Germany in trouble. But Germany has been a rather homogenized country throughout its, its existence for the positive and for the negative. Um, this has meant that, you know, they have a lot of national unity. That's a good thing, right? That I is mean, a good thing. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, everyone in Germany, I mean, I shouldn't say almost, almost everyone, unlike our country now, speaks German, right? They, there you go. They, it's, it's important. They speak the, the language, and they have a, a cultural heritage that they share. If you doubt me, check out Germany during a World Cup, all right? <laughs> I mean, there is, there is zero doubt. And by the way, one of the things I've, I've always enjoyed about the German soccer team other than the fact that they play incredibly disciplined soccer is that they're one of the few nations left that you can tell what nation they play for simply by reading the name on the back of the jersey because, right because they've all got german names no right. other country is like that anymore because the good old days right, you, you, <laughs> i mean you know you know a german fo- soccer player simply by looking at the back of their jersey i'm not sure you're gonna do that's gonna be the case you know next world cup because you know frankly 
I, this is I'm being facetious here, but there's probably you know part of this the idea here is you know maybe out of those five hundred thousand Muslims you're going to get a few soccer players out of them, um, but because that's important. Uh, but to be more serious here. I don't understand politically why Merkel decided that this was necessary or a good idea or that Germany was particularly well-suited to take a group of people known, rather ironically, for their anti-Jewish sentiments. Exactly. I mean, I mean how bizarre is that? So, exactly. So, I mean, given the history of our country, we're going to take a group of people known for Jew-hating. That hate Jews. I mean, Come what, on in. What, what is – I'm, I'm baffled, um, and, and I'm not surprised – that they seemingly have now put up the stop sign uh, rather quickly. Uh, we referenced this earlier. You know, Donald Trump even fell into this trap. Oh, my gosh. Sa- saying at first, we've got to take him in, too. And then, of course, he reversed himself. And because he's Donald Trump, he's allowed to do whatever the hell he wants. And it's not a flip-flop. Uh, so now he's on the right side of the issue. He doesn't want any of these uh, any of these people coming into the country as refugees. But this is going to be a huge problem. And ironically enough, if it's as big as people fear... It's going to help Donald Trump because we're going to see and the news media is going to try real hard to prevent it, but it's going to be inescapable. We're going to see pictures from Europe of what massive refugee immigration does. That's right. And it's going to psychologically help Donald Trump. I guarantee it. 72 percent are young men. Yeah. Have you seen the pictures? Yeah, but it's ISIS on parade is what yeah. it is. All right. Well. It's going to be interesting. Um, You've got to be kidding me. All right. All right. So, well, uh-uh. we've got, we got to take a break. When we come back, uh, keeping within the theme of uh, the world going to hell in a handbasket and, and not necessarily domestically related, I want to talk about what's going on with the Pope. Because the Pope is coming to America, and he's done a couple of very fascinating things that I have a special experience with, uh, which we'll get to when we return on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Updating you on uh, two sporting events we referenced in the first hour of the program. Uh, Novak Djokovic has won the U.S. Open for men tennis tournament, uh, defeating Roger Federer in uh, four sets. And the Dallas Cowboys have just beaten the New York Giants in a dramatic Sunday night football game, 27-26. to I don't get to see the game because we don't have a TV in this studio, so I don't know whether or not Chris Christie was jiggling up and down, <laughs> hugging Jerry Jones so that his hey. poll numbers can go to 0.002%. Uh, you know, I have not I, one but two televisions, and no, there was no uh, jiggling going on. No jiggle cam uh, on Chris Christie? Well, you know, no. he's at 2% in the polls, so it can't, you know, couldn't, couldn't really hurt him too much more, uh, but it would have been fun to see nonetheless. Uh, oh, right. and Roll Tide. Well, because Alabama, well, because they beat, was Louisiana Tech or who? No, who? Yes, but it's the way they beat him. It was so beautiful. It was uh, Middle Tennessee, somebody or oh, another. By the way, Auburn, sorry. <laughs> 
Well, that they, was embarrassing. They almost lost. I thought I, they, know. I thought Auburn was going to lose. Uh, for those who don't oh. know, Leah is broadcasting from Alabama, so therefore she pretends that everybody cares about Alabama and Auburn they football do. because it's law in Alabama that you care there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll talk about uh, – actually, we're going to be on in Alabama in about That's uh, correct. Three, three weeks. We're going to be on several stations in Alabama, so I'm sure we'll be talking a, a lot of Roll Tide as you root for the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, and I root for UCLA – because uh, my wife went to UCLA and because I once coached UCLA's quarterback, who's going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate this year. So as bizarre as that sounds, because I'm not a football coach, but I somehow, somehow ended up coaching him in eighth grade. And uh, despite that, he's now the starting quarterback at UCLA. All right. Um, with all that as a digression, I'm sure there's a segue, but I can't think of one. I, I want to talk a little bit about the Pope. Uh, Pope Francis is coming to the United States uh, soon, and the media loves him. Oh, my gosh. They love Pope Francis because he's a liberal. That's uh, right. So that I mean, and, and inherently, they love him. And he's done a couple of fascinating slash bizarre things. One doesn't really matter much to my life since I'm married with a kid, but I did find it rather humorous. And, by the way, for backdrop, I grew up Catholic. I'm baptized as a Catholic I went to Catholic high school, Catholic college at Georgetown University, although we're not really a Catholic college anymore. We pretend to be, but, you know, that's another story for another day. Ditto uh, me too, Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. Right. I, but I now refer to myself as a recovering Catholic. I'm recovering from being Catholic. And one of the reasons I'm recovering from being Catholic is the lack of logic in a lot of the things that the church does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw this, Leah, but the, the Pope announced this week that he's offering a green light special, or is it a blue light special? Wait, 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 you know, I forget what the color was, but he's offering a special deal, a special deal in the upcoming year. If you had an abortion and you're contrite about it, a priest can forgive you in the next year. But it's only a year-long deal. If you, if you, apparently, if you go before December or if you wait too long and the deal is over, you can't get forgiven for your abortion. Uh, yeah. Goodbye, Catholic Church. This is why I rejected it. One of these things. All right. Well, so I don't even. Under, I mean, I just find that to be humorous. The the part, of, the other thing that he did recently, which related far more to my experience, is that he announced that he's going to make it easier for people to get annulments to their marriage. I know. Now, for for those who don't know what an annulment is, an annulment is a declaration from the church declaring that the marriage that you thought you were in... (laughs) Even if you had children in it. Oh, yeah, which I know firsthand. The marriage that you thought you were in, if you petition the church and you have certain characteristics, and especially if you have some money, uh, they can declare that that marriage never actually happened. See? It's not that it's it's divorce. No, divorce says the marriage that you did have is now done. It's you you are separated. The Catholic Church goes one further than that. They say Poof. No, never happened. It was all your imagination Poof. because at the time you were married there was something that was amiss. Uh, and therefore God in the guise of God you were never actually married, which conveniently allows you to do something very important. It allows you to get remarried in the church which means you can still go to Mass, which most importantly, you can still put money into the collection basket. That's the number one issue. Right, and you can bring new kids into the church as well, which means eventually they'll put money into the collection basket. Now, here's my experience. 
So I grew up in this Catholic family, and my parents had me, and they had three more kids. So they have four kids. They were married for 20 years. Four kids. My father gets a divorce from my mother while I'm in college. He petitions for an annulment from the Catholic Church. This is well before Pope Francis makes it even easier. And what happens? The Catholic Church, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, where I grew up, where my mother's family was had huge influence on. I mean, millions of dollars they'd given to the Archdiocese, land. Uh, every single member of my mother's family was a member of the Philadelphia Archdiocese. Despite all that, my father, because he also had money, he gets an annulment of, of the marriage between himself and my mother, meaning that my parents, in the eyes of the Catholic Church, were never married. It never happened. Yet, magically, I'm not a bastard. Although there are many people who would disagree with that. <laughs> but technically, technically, in the, in the eyes of the Catholic Church, I'm not a bastard. So this is magical. The, 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 the marriage never happened. It's the, madness is the, what it is. The children are not bastards. Unreal. My father can go back and get remarried, which is, well, actually, he's not even technically remarried because he was not married technically the first time. He uh, was just married. He was just married. So he marries again. or Well, he gets, he gets married for the first time in the eyes of the church after the first one gets, arrest, uh, gets erased. And you know, so my father, being Catholic, of course, has enormous guilt about this because that's what Catholics do. You know, we have guilt. And, and so... Um, I'm on the air in Nashville, Tennessee, and something came up in the news about annulments, and I asked my father to come on the air to discuss his annulment with me, and I brutalized him. I mean, I <laughs> brutalized him. It was, you know, imagine, uh, you know, Johnny Cochran or Alan Dershowitz or F. Lee Bailey in his heyday just torturing a poor witness on the stand about, okay, so why was it that you wanted the annulment? And he said, well, because I wanted to still be able to go to Mass. I said, well, why did you want to go to Mass? Well, I wanted to be able to take communion. I said, oh, really? So you believe, Dad, that when you take communion, that you are ingesting the actual, not the theoretical, the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ? He says, well, no. I said, well, guess what? You're not allowed to take communion because that's part of the rules. The rules are if you don't believe in transubstantiation, you can't take communion. So here he was. He gets an annulment from my mother. Also, he can go to Mass to take part in a sacrament he doesn't believe in because it's absurd to begin with. So <laughs> this is the level of insanity here. You are a little wound up. Well, I, you, you can't understand why. <laughs> I, I I mean this I is, can this is I my can. life. This was yeah. this was my my parents' marriage. They were married. Well, it was far from perfect, but the, for a church for for a for a, for a panel of priests who have allegedly never had sex in their lives to be able to retroactively, with no knowledge of what was going on at the time, say that this marriage never actually occurred is ridiculous that's where the blame is that's where it is and that's where it belongs and this is just utter it's ruin for families for them to do this when you have children you know the only reason you should be able to get an annulment is if 
you it, you were entered into it under false pretense. Right. You, the marriage was never consummated. Right. Or anything like That's, that. By the this way, is insanity that they did that. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, and by the way, what you just outlined, Leah, are the rules. That those are the rules. You know, if if unless it was fraud or the marriage wasn't consummated. I mean, those are basically the two major reasons why you could. And by the way, I would have no problem with that. If a marriage was never consummated or, or if there was massive fraud at the time of the marriage. But, of course, you know, they've created loopholes now that you can drive a Mack truck through. And, you know, it's it's very corrupt. And the idea that the, 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 the pope has now made it even easier Ugh. to get an annulment is it just makes marriage that much less important. I mean, I, here I am, a silly person. When I got married, I didn't get married to late in life because I... When I make a promise, I keep it. I'm there. I'm I'm a slave for life now. All right, like it or not, that's the deal. <laughs> all right, we'll come back. Hour number three of the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.